Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate hey everyone before we get started i want to tell you about blue wire hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at blue wire Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, <clears throat> really hope that's us, and access to our community Discord, an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all of the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box of this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com forward slash join. Come hang out with us. We love Blue Wire. You won't be disappointed. This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the London, London Blue, Blue Podcast. Podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode, that's right, of the London is Blue podcast. This is going to be your injection of caffeine after a very dull draw. Dan here, along with Nick, Brandon Busby, took the right match off this season. Boy, to, oh, what a, right, Nick? what a, what a incredible weekend to take off for Busby. Just decided, look, the beach sounds better than this game, and he was correct. A prescient individual in that regard. But you know what? The fifth Beatle of the London's Blue podcast, Mr. <laughs> Joe Tweeds, is with us, though. So I think we will have plenty to talk about, Joe. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've officially claimed that nickname now for all eternity. So any other people trying to come in and be members of the Beatles, it's going to have to be a, a firm no. But yeah, I think uh, Brandon has done an incredible job there taking this game off because it was not the... Uh, not the most pleasant to sit through, let's put it that way. Yeah, Brandon Busby Masterclass this weekend. Absolutely. Uh, only, only, only one affiliated <laughs> with Chelsea who might be able to lay claim to that this weekend. Daniel, though, with a good question just to get us into this one, because you know what? It wasn't necessarily the best and greatest match. We're going to get into all of it. But Daniel asks, what's a better use of 93 minutes than watching this match? Oh, God. What I did yesterday, I, I sat on my rooftop and drank beers in 65 degree weather. That's a way better use of time. Uh, so, yeah, that. That's fair. Joe, Did you? would you have a suggestion for the lovely listeners? 93 <laughs> other minutes, what would you do? Oh, God. Um, I don't know. Watch, watch some old reruns of The Wire or something. Uh, to be honest, mm. anything really would have been more more beneficial than uh, than watching that today. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just not a pleasant watch, is it, at the moment? And not even in the fact that we're not winning and all that sort of stuff. It's just pretty pretty dour isn't it so yeah yeah right wiry ones or sopranos or literally anything other than than football yeah Pre premium television is always a good shout and then uh, you know because it's not tv it's hbo and then uh meg who tweeted at us with just watch a chelsea women's match which was probably the wonderful chelsea related answer that we might be looking for but we've got a couple through our match reviews we're going to get into here first 
I'm going to run through them and I'm gonna let the guys then have their opportunity to make comments and give their own. Uh, ho-, ho well with can we finish question mark exclamation point question mark exclamation point. JC throwing it back to Nick's terrible midweek pun <laughs> with yachts can't score. Adi with Angolo no goals though. Mm. He's, he's the apostrophe to break like up the that. and no goals. So give him credit. Uh, Idle directory with the sorry, not sorry. Bring him back. <laughs> That's <laughs> a funny. try, but true. That's Matt funny. with Tommy's toothless tactics. Steven with the Herm Edwards mistranslated with the uh, the additional context of it's you play to win the game, boys to win. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan with the boar draw exemplified or I actually preferred his second one even better. If we're going for alliteration, Smeagol shares spoils. That one, man. <laughs> Excellent. Tremendous. Tremendous work. And then Bob with the Ole Gunner soul card. Yeah, we're going to talk about the uh, the post-gamer from, from Ole uh, later today. But my goodness, he went full conspiracy theorist after this one. All right. Well, let's kick it over to Joe Tweeds. What do you got here, sir? Three were match I have, uh, yeah, I have wash, rinse, repeat, which is, it's kind of felt like for the past couple of games, yes, we've had different results. But I think the overall process of watching us at the moment is very, very samey. Um, but yeah, wash, rinse, repeat, and probably the next game will be wash, rinse, repeat again until we have a bit of a look at the system. But yeah, not, not a, a great one for me, but you know. All right, Nick, what do you got? Give the listeners something good. Well, it's not good. It's just me uh which is pretty much me all the time uh final third misery i don't know what the plan is there's nothing going on there right now all right well i dropped mine earlier when i did my little post-match tweet but it was unbeaten but uninspired which is Mm. the Mm -hmm. maybe the definition of the tuchel era so far but we've got plenty to discuss this episode we are going to break down the toothless draw, I saw two sides more interested in counter-pressing and then potentially winning a football match, play against one another today for a share of points. We're going to try to answer the question of what Tuchel's style actually is and maybe what he's trying to get into. Uh, Joe actually earlier in the week was like, can we budget an extra 30 minutes maybe to go into the tactics specifically, what is or isn't working? You know what? This match... Made room for that in a single episode. It's fantastic. And then uh, get into some interesting post-match commentary, like Nick said, uh, from one opposition manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But before we get into that, we do have a couple of gratitudes and housekeeping you want to get into. Nick, shower the people with some love in regards to those Patreon subscriptions. That is right. Um, we actually have the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Tweets on the show. Joe, do you want to maybe just give us just a small... A little, little inkling as to the newsletter, why you're doing the newsletter, and uh, and some of the feedback you've had so far on the newsletter. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I think for a while, I've wanted to to get back into writing. I think people that maybe have, have discovered me through podcasts might not know that I originally was probably one of the original bloggers in terms of Chelsea. Um, I had my own website for a bit, and I, I wrote for We Ain't Got No History for a while as well. So the newsletter for me is a way of getting back into writing and it's it's sort of a, a Monday thing every Monday in terms of of uh, being ac- accessible on Patreon. And I look at two to three kind of talking points throughout the week that I find interesting. They're not always related to the games, give you some wider themes and give people access and insight into an academy player or somebody else on loan. Started to look a little bit, little bit more into our history. There's always a media clip in there. Um, I always kind of end it with a, with a nice quotation about Chelsea as well. So I think it's a good little way to kick off your Monday. Um, sometimes the, the the articles can be pretty long in there. So I think in terms of being able to read it throughout the week, I think that's also beneficial. But in general, yeah, it's, there's a ton, a ton of Chelsea content really to kick off your week. Um, and yeah, tomorrow's one will probably feature a little bit about this game as well. But uh, yeah, last week's letter spoke, I think, a little bit on what we're going to touch on in, in, a, in a, a bit in terms of the tactics. I call it tactics for now and tactics for later, whether we're kind of using tactics to, for now to achieve top four and then changing the system later to, to be a little bit more expansive. Um, said to the guys before we started recording that maybe that point has come now rather than in 
maybe the three months time that I had envisioned it. But yeah, good fun and uh, something that I certainly enjoy writing. And I think in terms of guys on Patreon, feedback has been really solid so far. But then there's the mail, the mailbag as well, where I answer pretty much every question that people throw at me on on our Discord server. Um, and that comes out on Tuesdays as well. Well, nothing but a plethora of content from Joe Tweeds. And uh, Nick, we want to thank a couple people too for helping uh, maybe throw more questions Joe's way and uh, jumping in on the Discord. Yeah, you, you definitely want to get in here. There, there's a lot happening on the Discord, on Patreon. Uh, obviously, Joe's a huge boon to that effort. Uh, Rise Lewis, uh, new yearly sub. Uh, here's the fun thing. If you're interested in joining and you don't want to have to do like some monthly payment you get a 10 percent discount for joining for a year it's like 50 bucks pretty easy so there's that uh new subs though uh we have tiago silva joined so that's how good our patreon is <laughs> tiago silva himself while while on the injury bench joined uh, incredible little wink there to our friend uh james prescott and nikolai which is not me uh that's a different person so Thank you guys for for uh, for joining. Really appreciate it. Um, what if I what if I was just now joining Patreon for myself? <laughs> uh, I hated I hated the, the Russian version. Yeah, uh, and then we have some new Apple Podcast. And shall I continue on this on this gratitudes? No, I'll jump in and see. Oh, thank God. Oh. Yeah. Uh, anyway, plenty of five star views. Someone even said they tried to get the six, but it still wouldn't let them. Waiting for that person to Konami code the Apple Podcast review system and unlock the six star. But until that time happens, these five star views from Haskell4768, Nick's super fan, who did call Attaboy. out that they are a huge fan of uh, you, Nick crazy maybe if they're a fan of nikolai i don't know uh cfc <laughs> finch we had uh Sklady, one two three four pat noon tony from san diego uh soji knight 23 a basically bunch of random letters and i'm going to just try to kind of figure out what the consonant sound is because they didn't it's like a welsh word vowel. right there it That's, is welsh yeah yeah and then uh lloyd healy all leaving five star views so we appreciate it. and then one last shout out nick before we get into the match review yeah as you guys know a little bit of housekeeping this week we're we're trying to put together some videos for uh paul cannaville otherwise known as canners uh we are hoping to do uh, as many 10 to 15 second user submission videos as possible. Um, so if you could send those to us, contact at londonisbluepodcast.com. That would be great. Uh, we would like these to be horizontal. Just a quick uh, note of of uh, uplifting joy for Paul as he, as he recovers from a pretty serious uh, situation. And, and we just hope that he recovers. So uh, we want you to do it horizontally. State your name, where you're from. A get well message briefly. We're talking 10 to 15 seconds. So please respect the, the time constraints and then just email it uh, to us. Contact at London is podcast.com. A really cool thing we're trying to string together. So please do that. And then on the pod front, obviously this is coming out on Monday. Uh, we have Liverpool on Thursday. So get your sick notes ready for that one. If you're in the States uh, and I think those are the only two shows to end or to do for this week, right, Dan? Yep, that's it. Well a done, well week. done, Nick. A great, great week. job, everybody. In the feels preamble, weird, but we have two to pods. do a match review now, uh, and you know what? We just we have to. It's what we agreed to. It's the social contract we have entered into with you, the listener. Uh, it was against Manchester United. It was actually in the Premier League. It was actually a competitive match, despite what the scoreline would tell you. It was this Sunday, February 28th, 2021, at Stamford Bridge. The scoreline, Chelsea nil, United nil. There's no recap that we're going to put in here because there was <laughs> no goals. Uh, so uh, thank you, the Fifth Stand app, for not dropping a little bit of audio in here because we're going to go straight to the lineups. And with no Brandon Busby, that puts you on deck Nicholas Verlaine. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to take this on. Uh, Edouard Mendy between the sticks. Uh, the same back three that we've deployed over the last handful of matches with Rudiger, Christensen, and Azpilicueta. N'Golo Conte and Kovacic in midfield, which is, you know, interesting. You know, kind of no Jorginho. Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi on the right. Ben Chilwell back in the starting 11 on the left. That was interesting. Uh, Olivier Giroud up top. Uh, complimented by Mason Mount and Hakim Ziyech making an, an appearance and not Timo Werner. So on the bench, Kepa Aritha Balaga, uh, Marcus Alonso, Kurt Zuma, uh, Emerson, Jorginho, and Kai Havertz are unused subs. Uh, used subs are Reese James at halftime. More on that to come. 
Christian Pulisic in the 65th minute and Timo Werner in the 78th minute. All right. Well, maybe just before we get onto the stats, Joe, I think there were a couple of surprises in this lineup, maybe than what we were anticipating. Obviously, Thiago Silva out injured, didn't make this match. So that was one. Tammy Abraham not even making the bench was maybe one of the other ones that was a pretty big head scratcher for people. What, what did you make of the lineup and how we maybe set up in this match? Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that I think there is certainly a bit more of an emerging trend in terms of the midfield pairing. It looks like Mateo Kovacic is the the kind of the default starter. And then Tuka will rotate Jorginho and Kovacic, depending on the quality, um, physicality, the strength of the opposition. So with United having Fred and McTominay and, and, and a little bit more physicality, more and Bruno Fernandes and more mobility in there, I think the plan was to to use Kante um to, to partner Kovacic in terms of midfield. So I think that sort of is is kind of emerging trend. Um, first real, I suppose, look for, for Ben Chilwell playing as a as a wing back properly, um, at least against a, a decent team under under Tuchel as well. Um, I think he he had a, an okay game, still got caught a little bit, but certainly was was not sort of a, a disgrace. Played, I think, reasonably well. Um, and I think the the two big, or at least the the, the biggest uh, kind of point of interest was was Hakim Ziyech. Now. Not, you know, if, I know we'll talk about it in a second, but the fact that he remained on the pitch for nearly 80 minutes, I think certainly is one interesting talking point. But his his position in this system, I, I know that this is something that I've spoken about previously, that I don't think he really fits this kind of uh, system where you're almost playing as an inside forward rather than more of a, a traditional winger who maybe plays a bit wider. Um, and I, I felt that was certainly a big bit of a gamble from from Tuchel certainly now if... if Pulisic is fit and if Timo Werner is fit. Um, and interestingly, you know, I think the, the Giroud versus Abraham gamble didn't quite pay off maybe as he had intended. And it's weird for me because whenever, you know, Giroud's out of the team, he comes back in, he scores some goals, he looks pretty decent. But then when he kind of becomes the guy, the sort of the form kind of drops off and he reverts a little bit back to the the, the type, of the, you know, the, what we've seen. And maybe in this game, there's an argument to say that certainly the way United played and the way that they pressed that you could have done with Werner's pace potentially in behind or just Tammy Abraham's mobility up there. I think they would have been slightly better options. So you know, in terms of the team selection, I think in, in, in looking at that front three, I, I'm not so um, sort of despondent about the, the back seven or whatever it is that we're, we're playing at the moment in terms of that selection. But I felt Ziyech and Giroud potentially were, were maybe mistakes in my eyes. I think Ziyech was definitely a mistake in Giroud. Maybe it's hindsight because United were a bit more aggressive but then the fact that you don't have Tammy on the bench to maybe change that dynamic um, was was interesting to me. So, yeah. Well, the other interesting thing I thought here was two left backs and you couldn't fit an extra striker on the bench, which was... <laughs> we don't need goals, though. I think that's the really important part about that. Um, there, we had plenty of goals in the team. We're scoring it well. So let's leave off the guy who scored a majority of the goals uh, from the number nine position. Um Cool. Well, cool. speaking of scoring and things like that, let's get to the stats in which Chelsea had 57.2% possession, six shots on target to the four that United had, 18 overall shots to United 11, uh, United's 11, 807 touches, 594 passes, 25 tackles, 20 clearances, three corners, one offside, one yellow card, 11 fouls conceded, and an XG for the match. Well, this one is dire. Chelsea versus Manchester United, 0.9 to 0.4. Just hedging over a goal for the two teams combined. Uh, And Kayla Graphics with the whole lots of shots, not a whole lot of chances. Notice how a lot of those shots for United are outside of the box, though. I mean, that's something. But, yeah, we're... uh... This is uh, – do you guys remember when Chelsea Manchester United was um, – had quality in it do you, like back <laughs> yeah. in the day? Yeah, you used to be, used to be was, a really good, enjoyable game. It, well, it used like to One of the be, games of the season regularly. Yeah, like hard tackling, interesting. There was always you know a goal or two in it. They, they were not offensive displays, but like those were the two best teams in the land for a really long time. This was a far cry from that. All right. Well, we're about to get into all of this, but we're going to take a quick ad break. So stick around and we will be right back. All right. So I'm going to let you guys go ham. Nick has been waiting. He has been chomping at the bit to just dive into some issues and problems. But before we do that, I just want to set the stage. I want you guys to say one nice thing 
about the team and the match today. And then you can go wherever you want to take this, wherever you want to go with style and formation and what's not working or what went wrong this match. You just got to say one nice thing. That is the price of admission to get into the rest of the conversation. And either of you can go first. Nick, if you want to go first, you can. Sure. I'll, I'll go first. Um, I think, like, again, we were we said this right before the, uh, the ad break. The, the fact that they didn't really have a, like, they had kind of one chance that kind of went through a couple of people that Mendy made a reaction save to. They they didn't create anything, uh, and and I think our defense did a good job of keeping Bruno Fernandes in check. Uh, you know that was a really strategic part of the game. Obviously, he pulls all the strings for United. Without without him, they are a a seventh or eighth best side in the Premier League. I think he, as much as I dislike him, he's been that impactful for Manchester United. So the fact that he got bodied a couple times early and then didn't really have any impact in the game is a, is a positive and it shows that, you know, Chelsea is capable of taking another, you know, a bell checking another, you know, team's best player, if you will. But yeah, I, I so I, I will not I will not butt that. I think that is that was a positive of this game. They created nothing. Okay, well I, I like that. That is that is positive. Joe, do you have a positive item in your locker that you can share with the class? If we play like this next season, we'll probably break our Premier League uh, goals conceded record. <laughs> That's my main positive. <laughs> so I think if you actually look at the, I mean, since we've played, okay, Rudiger Rudiger technically scored against us. So if we maybe like discount that. Like we've, we've only really given up like one actual proper goal against Southampton. Um, so looking at that, I think, yeah, if you then extrapolate that across the Premier League season, you might only concede, I don't know, six goals. So that, that's my positive, is that the era of uh, Mourinho with that wonderful Cavalio, Terry, Gallas, you know, all, of, all those wonderful players, they're going to get dominated by Azpilicueta, Christensen and Rudiger in the, uh, in the stats next season. But that, slightly, be... slightly less tongue-in-cheek. Like it, is, it is impressive that he has come in and sorted the defence out we will probably discuss what that is kind of in lieu of in, in, in the next few steps. But the fact that we are probably now one of the best defences in the Premier League, yes, that is probably due to the setup and maybe some lacking of ambition in attack and stuff like that. But to see the turnaround from, from Frank to this, I, it, it is impressive. And, and yeah, as I said, you know, the uh, the long-term consequences is that we'll, we'll probably concede less than 10 goals next season. We might only score 15, but we'll, we'll score well, only concede uh, less than 10. The only team to ever go down from the Premier League <laughs> conceding less than 10 goals. Yeah. Yeah. We'll concede five uh, goals and we'll, we'll draw, you know, I mean, technically we could get, we could draw our way to sort of mid, mid tier, but yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, th- th- uh, what, 38 points to, to end yeah. the season. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So the, the one positive thing I would say is maybe just, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this during our, our group thread when we were watching the match, but yeah, I, in, in general, I think Christensen <laughs> had, had a good game, uh, 73 out of 73 passes completed, which, uh, you know, some of them were very slow sideway passes, um, <laughs> but you know, in, in general, uh, better off the ball movement. Um, actually, was you know going up against Maguire once or twice when they had corners, which was nice to see him actually kind of stand up and be accounted for. Um, which I think you know, there's been a lot of questions sometimes about his mentality and his physicality, and you know, in general, has been more of a a smooth reader of the game sometimes. And this was a little bit of a different performance. So I, I would say that I enjoyed the way that he made yeah. himself known in this match. I, I also enjoyed like Rudiger's like three or four huge sprints down the field. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, l- largely because, you know, the, Ole played Dan James against him on purpose, I think to try and, you know, beat Rudiger with pace. And that did not happen at all today. Uh, Rudiger checked him every single time. They had a cup. They had a hug. There was a hug involved. There was, you know, I think between Rudiger and Maguire, like it was a. This was one of the weirdest games I've ever seen. I, it was just absolute trash all over the field. But Rudiger did play pretty well. I will say that. All right, so we can go off. You both made you paid the price. We can go in. We can break <laughs> it down. Uh, right. Just you, we, we got a bunch of questions that were very similar. And, you know, we had Carefree Chelsea FC or Carefree Kieran with the. 
what exactly is Tuchel's style of play or lack of identity. <laughs> uh, Jason, uh, who asked... It's the first time Nick smiled in about six months. Let him go. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Uh, where, where is his tactical genius, quote-unquote, in the final third? Does he understand who you... Uh, keep the ball does it win matches in the EPL and then uh, Garland Mason with just the uh, why are we having such a hard time getting on the sheet uh, we're playing five wingers at a time so let's just get break into it like what what are we seeing or not seeing in how we're setting up to try and get a result out of these matches Nick is raising his hand pick which me. is the politest he's ever been on this podcast please, teacher please pick me um <laughs> I, I I'm very proud of this meme that I just created, um, that I've I've now put into the script and shared via WhatsApp. Very proud of this. If you have watched one, here here is not this is not going to be a spoiler for Wandavision, okay? But if you've watched Wandavision, you'll know what I'm referencing. What is Tuchel's system if not Conte and Sorry persevering? <laughs> I wonder what you were chuckling about earlier. Now I know. <laughs> it's. I'm very proud of this one. Uh, I see a Joe, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I see the end product of Conte and Sari systems right now under Tuchel. And, you know, I think you could make a really strong case that without Eden Hazard, Sari system would have probably produced this many goals. <laughs> as well. It's a really just good given, point, yeah. Just given the system and the way that, uh, you know, Eden Hazard just took on the entire league that year. Um, I, I I really don't know. I, I mean, it's so clear to me that the, the reason for all the advanced possession and the back passing and the side passing is because I think Tuchel realized that our defense out of possession can get a little... Uh, wonky sometimes and I think by keeping the ball it's almost a preventative measure in a way Um, but I mean it is it's dismal when we get to the final third I mean it's as bad as as we've seen in a long time and uh, I I wonder much like you are going to wax poetic about here I wonder if we have sacrificed too much in one direction uh, and, and it's you know basically basically hamstringing us on the other side yeah I, I think the the kind of the the marriage or the cocktail of content sorry system i think that's a very very good way of looking at it because it has all of the the coaching characteristics of both of them they were both heavy on on positional play and, and having sort of automatisms during the game etc um but i think we alluded to a little bit earlier that we we don't quite have that game breaking kind of talent now in eden hazard to to take a game like this and, and make one moment count. I mean, we saw certainly during the game today, there was a handful or less than a handful of opportunities where I think Ziyech probably, I would be expecting somebody of his calibre to score. Um, I think Giroud had a couple of good opportunities that again, someone who's as good as he is in the air, maybe he he should be connecting with those. Um, some dangerous balls in from 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 Callum and from, from Reese towards the end. But in, in terms of the system, I think that point of balance of what you're saying is is absolutely crucial. No manager, and I include sorry, in, sorry, I include Conte from Conte's second season here. No manager has really been able to get the balance in this in this team, right? And that, to me, I think partly now people are starting to look at some of the personnel that we have available and just wondering whether just throwing together a group of players that suit a back three. Look at the defence. Look at the wing backs, for example. Uh, guys that suit maybe a more progressive 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 system, whether just smushing them together like a sandwich is actually producing the, the results that, that people want. I don't think when I look at this squad, I don't think that this is a Tuchel issue. It's something that I saw with Lampard. It's something that I saw with, with Sari. It's something that I saw with Conte. I don't see when I look at this squad, a distinctive personality or style that we can we can consistently win matches with. You know, you look at Liverpool last season, you look at City this season, you look at really successful teams. They have, for me, a distinctive way of playing, personality. They have the ability to win games in, in multiple ways as well. And I think the thing that we're seeing at the moment is unless we produce the perfect piece of play, the, the ability for us to score is almost it's almost nil in terms of the ability to do that. And you saw that in the system today. We have, I think, sacrificed probably too much in terms of our ability to attack and to go forward. I mean, you can see it at times today now, when it's particularly when Reese was playing instead of, of Callum, we basically were attacking with three players. 
And when one of those players was Hakim Ziyech, who I think had a very poor game, and Giroud, who I think also played particularly poorly, it was pretty much Mason Mount up front running around, you know, and it, we even saw like he tried to score a messy solo goal, like, you know, to, to sort of win the game. <laughs> that, that's, that's what it would have taken for yeah. that front three to actually, to actually win today. But we've sacrificed so much in terms of the shape. We basically play, okay, with Callum playing, you could say he's maybe a half a winger, half a defender. He's, he's a true wing and back. He's not a wing back. But we, we in, in most cases now have six or seven players behind the ball in terms of when we have possession, um, in terms of how we defend. You know, I think Tuchel has been smart in how he's looked at the, he's looked at Chelsea centre-back pairings as a back as a back four. Um, you know, and as much as I think Rudiger and Christensen are playing well now in a back four, they, they for me are not particularly good players in the Premier League. And I think we've seen that over the past three seasons. I, I don't think that needs to be sort of something that needs to be explored. So you put the back three in, you put Christensen in the position he's comfortable in, Rudiger plays in a position that he's comfortable in. Aspilicueta plays in probably the only position he can now play in in the Premier League. And that gives you your foundation. Um, the double sixes, quote unquote, in front of them. We saw today, certainly the latter part of the game, and this is the, the, the thing that I've said for a very long time, as soon as you pull, pull our midfield into space or into areas that they don't want to be in, it causes chaos. You know, the calm and collected banner we were defending with the last 15, 20 minutes of that game, there were so many kind of like blocks and, and last-ditch tackles and... I know we were laughing a little bit, but we should you should never be caught four on one at like the 18th minute of the game on a counter-attack. You know, as soon as we try to maybe be a little bit more expansive or be a little bit more aggressive in terms of our positioning or pushing cover or pushing county up or trying to go for a goal, it, it, it causes complete chaos in the entire structure of the team. And I think Tuchel knows this, and I think it's a reason why we're playing such a conservative. I think you, you, you said it right in terms of this defensive possession. It's not, it's not possession, you know, it's not purposeful possession. There's not aggressive passes. There's not aggressive movement. It's very much a question of controlling the game with the ball because we know we saw it today. On another day, Bruno Fernandes plays two or three passes and maybe Man United score two or three goals given how, how good they are at finishing. You know, that ball at, at the death there, if Kante hasn't sprinted as fast as I, anyone I've seen sprint for us in the past couple of games and then somehow get a, a, you know, an outstretched leg on it, they've probably scored again. Um, this 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 balance or lack of balance between being able to attack and defend, I think, comes down from the fact that Tuchel has looked at that everything that he has available, all of the personnel, and he's concluded that the, the only way that he can win football matches is by wrapping that midfield pair in cotton ball, giving them massive support in terms of defending wide areas by playing wing backs, by playing three centre backs behind them, and then you've got Mason Mount and Mount's work rate ahead of them. You know, today. I'd love to see the numbers, but it felt like he was getting a toe on things. He was pressing. He was everywhere today in terms of his defensive work. I know that he, he maybe will be disappointed with the, the goal that he could have scored, but it was telling that about 15 seconds later, he was the guy who actually had chased back on the right-hand side and was the guy tackling and winning possession again, even after he just made that run. So you've got all of these players, I think, working to protect a pretty weak midfield, a pretty weak backline. Um, and then when we have possession, I think that's, as, as Nick is alluding to, that's where this, this I think, rigidity in defence, this, you could say, passive, this, this very kind of tentative style of play, it just, it's just not working. And we, I know that we've won games this season and I know, I know that, you know, results have been okay. The Atletico game, we were so dominant against Atletico and yet it still took Giroud to score an overhead kick to win that game. Mm -hmm. we, we were camped on the edge of their penalty area for the better part of, of 90 minutes. It was like an attack versus defence game in training. And we don't have, I think, the quality of players. We don't have the patterns. We don't really look like we've been coached to be able to break down these teams. And I think certainly now for the, the remainder of the season, if Tuchel now needs to, to relax a little bit of some of this defensive structure he's put in place to encourage more players to go forward, we have to attack with more than three bodies. That, that, that for me is, is a non-negotiable in trying to create more scoring opportunities. And particularly when really you're looking at the four players that we've had under Tuchel so far, they're not great holding the ball up. We seem to lose a lot of possession in the final third. You know, Timo Werner is trying to play on the shoulder. He can't, he can't play with his back to goal. Giroud is hot and cold. Tammy's been hot and cold. And then again, it's just sort of Mason Mount just running around like a lunatic trying to make things happen. And that can't be a, a sort of sustainable way of, of us trying to create chances. So, you know, the, the, the sort of the summary kind of point here is I think that we've, we've focused so much and put so much effort on wrapping certain players in cotton wool to make them you know, play in the systems that they're comfortable in. Now, we've almost completely forgot about the, the object of the game is to go down the other end and score goals. And it's all well and good having the greatest structure in the world and having this fantastic defensive setup, you know, where we're not conceding goals. But you're looking at the game today, 
I still think that United were there for, for the taking if we'd have had a little bit more ambition. But it comes back to the, the, the sort of the point we're making is that when we play with ambition, we've seen it under Lampard, we've seen it under Sarri in some circumstances. When we play with ambition, we get picked apart on the counter. We don't have the, the players to, yeah. to, to play that position. We don't have a proper defensive midfielder. We don't have the right profile of, of central midfielders. You know, but all our centre-backs are better in a three than a two. It's, it's a little bit of a mess. So I'm, I'm curious to see sort of going forward how this is going to change because I know I wrote in my newsletter last week that I felt that the tactics would need to would, would probably carry us until the end of the season. Looking at today's game, looking at Liverpool coming up, looking at the games we have, we need to start winning some of these games or at least you know, start improving on our results when, when our peers are dropping points around us to really push into the top four. I don't think you're going to do that by putting seven men behind the ball and hoping that Mason Mount runs, you know, 75 metres with the ball and, and chips the goal or, or Giroud scores an overhead kick. That shouldn't be the, you know, that shouldn't be the default way that we're trying to score goals. So it's going to be interesting to see how it's how it all pans out. I know that I've been sort of ranting for a little bit here, but the the, the balance or the lack of balance between defence and attack, you know, Tuchel is an intelligent guy. I'm sure that he he has ideas here, but you know, it's a question of of balance. You know, do you do you try and attack with this team and then and then take those counter attacks that United were doing at the end with less players behind the ball? Um, you know, do you do you push for an early goal and then maybe be a little bit more defensive? You know, and then you're looking at all this and you've still got Kai Havertz sitting on the bench, Christian Pulisic, who for me probably should be playing ahead of, of Ziyech at the moment. Try and maybe play him into some form because we know that he can add goals when he's 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 a little bit fitter and sharper. Um, but it, it just, you know. It, I, I completely echo what Nick was saying, really, to be honest, in that it just looks devoid of any real pattern of play or any real kind of structure. And for how structured we are defensively to then have today basically be, as I said, Mason Mount dribbling or or someone trying to shoot, you know, cover or Kante shooting from 30, 40 yards. That cannot no. be the design. of The system cannot be designed to set Kovacic up to shoot from 35 yards. <laughs> Joe, as much I, as people may like the, him, it's absolutely insane. Him and Kante should not be that, you know, the people who are using possession... I that vehemently disagree. Vehemently disagree. <laughs> I want. I want all those shots. No, it's it's uh, it's the. Well, I'll just make this a whole meme show. It's the drawing of the horse that has the, the really detailed tail and like hindquarters. <laughs> Ignore and, what I've said for ten minutes and just put that meme up. This is yeah. basically what Joe has said for the and past ten minutes. <laughs> and then it gets into like my style drawing at yeah. the front. Uh, I mean, that's basically well, that's I, basically what it is. All all I had in my mind when we were kind of walking through that conversation was the the adage that the the a camel is a, a horse by committee. Right. The whole yep. idea that this that this lineup, that this team that has been assembled over the past <laughs> five to seven years is really filled with a lot of players who all were specialists in helping to plug holes into systems that a manager wanted to execute. Yeah. And, and really, the only generalist style players that we have right now are the Cobham graduates. Are the people yeah. who are trained to play in multiple styles of positions, who played you know under different styles and different managers, who maybe have a little bit more of a, a worldly experience. You know, Kovacic is, is going to play a certain way. And, you know, Golo Kante is you know the the only real at the moment world class player uh, on this team and in this side. And, and so, in general, if this is an amalgamation of all these concepts, and you're trying to decouple. What has been put together by the the board, by our previous managers in who we've gone after and the profile players we've acquired, you're really not going to be great at anything. You know, we, we are a, a Swiss army knife that has been dulled Blunted. through through attrition. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a really, really good point. So you know, uh, to, to tie on to your point, though, just with Mason, because I, I, I do want to shout out. I think he did have a, a good game. Uh, I don't necessarily know if you can miracle grow him into a Messi uh, at this point in his <laughs> career. Uh, fingers crossed that that does happen. But he did have 70 touches today, seven duels, one, five ball recoveries, four touches in the opposition box, four fouls, one, three crosses, three shots, two interceptions, two takes on uh, take ons and one chance created. So in, in general, one of the better performers in our side in this match, Nick, and just in general, I think he. Yeah, he and and Conte definitely were the the two two of the brighter spots. Yeah, uh, Mason, I, I I did drag him a little bit earlier for for not taking the shot when he had the opportunity after he made his run. But I, I again, if he doesn't play in this game, we surely lose. 
I mean, he he covered so much ground. He was shading play like he he looks tactically as sharp as I've seen him. Yeah. Uh, like the, the way that he again, I go back to the way he was like doing little things like shading Wambasaka and and trying to create like trying to take away passing angles from uh, United's midfield. I think it's just it, it shows his growth. And and a little bit of of savvy kind of style of play from him, which is great. Uh, I mean, he's the he has to be the first name on the team sheet right now, Joe. Like to me, I don't. I, I think he's been the best performer since Tuchel came into the club. Uh, you know, it was, it was helpful that you know Prime and Golo showed up in the second half and helped him out a little bit yeah. with the take ons and interceptions. But he was he was really good again. So- so before before Joe answers that, I think this is a, maybe a good way to have this conversation. So we're we're trying to play for the rest of the season with the objective of getting in the top four, going as far as we can in the FA Cup, as far as we can in the Champions League. If we are constructing an eleven, and we're going to just assume that Mendy is the keeper, uh, unless someone wants to object ferociously that it should be uh, Kepa Ritha Balaga. Um, give you a second. Nope, nobody said anything. Okay, cool. Uh, so we're going to assume Mendy. But if muted. you're building it out, what is the one, two, three that you would build around for trying to go and accomplish those things? Oh, it's a good question. Um, it's a tricky one. So I I personally, I would change the shape. I would say that that is one thing that I would certainly look to do. Um I think either a, a four T three one or four three three, whatever variant of, of that that you particularly want to play, would be something that I would look to do. And it, it, it's for me because it, it naturally gets one more attacking player onto the pitch, and it, it sort of naturally increases the numbers potentially that we have. I also think that our better defenders, in my personal opinion, suit the back four better than than the, the back three. Um, appreciate that there are a lot of the people that I rate are not necessarily part of the. Uh, Somebody referred to them as the union, the unionized players, the guys who got, uh, or, or guys who didn't, quote unquote, get Lampard the uh, the, the tin tack. But uh, you know, I, I would certainly look at that. And I think in terms of building around that or building that team, um, it's it's establishing the the spine of players, and that is for me Silver, uh, Kante, and then picking somebody as the the main guy up front, and then determining having that determine the style, because. To your point, uh, Dan, in terms of you know the, the establishing some sort of key kind of way of playing here, Giroud, Tammy, and Werner completely impact the way the whole team plays. If you're playing with Timo, you can't play short build-up, you can't play into his feet, he can't play back to goals. So that massively impacts a lot of your passing options and passing opportunities. Giroud, you can do that, but he's not particularly mobile, so he's not going to be running the channels, etc. Tammy's a bit more mobile, he's a bit more of a hybrid between the two, but he's maybe not been as clinical as you want. So you kind of have to pick your poison in terms of the, the centre forward. Um, and then I would kind of yeah, align that with Kante and then potentially Silva. Um, and just, I would yeah, try to play a, a kind of a, a pretty strong 4-3-3. Um, Kante, Mount, probably Kovacic. I would try to get maybe Havertz on the right-hand side to get him in as a, as a passer, maybe. And maybe Callum on the left-hand side is more of a, a kind of direct option. And then just rotate Werner, Pulisic, etc. people in depending on games. But... I'm, I'm, I don't think this system that we're playing at the moment has the the attacking impetus that we we can't win every game one nil. We, we, we've shown quite clearly that we don't have the ability to create the opportunities to, you know, Mourinho style 2004 get go one nil up and then you know game over. Let's all let's all relax and watch the rest of the game. Um, so I think the change of system is important. And then I think for me, yeah, the the other point really just to, to round it off is to say changing the system gives you that ability to add an additional attack and I think we need that attacking presence on the pitch at the moment. Nick, would you do the same thing? Is that where you're heading? Formation change and building uh, around Tammy and uh Tammy up top with uh N'Golo Kante, Mason Mount, Kova midfield and a back four with Silva as the anchor. So so we're building around three players, right? That's your Who's your first three? If you're going to pencil in the first three players. Um first three players would be Mason, Tammy, and Reese. Oof. Okay. And yeah. and the and the reason I the reason I say that is like I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what a spine looks like. Right. Like and and I I don't 
I don't know if the formation's necessarily the problem. I think it's the way the formation's being executed. So, like, you could see a situation that, because we saw Reese in a very offensive mode under Lampard, right? We saw him contribute a ton uh, to to play. Actually, I th- no, I'm gonna I'm gonna re- redo mine. I think it's gonna be Mason. I think it's gonna be Cal, and it's gonna be Reese. And I would I would maybe drop Mason a little deeper in the midfield. Yeah. And I would maybe bring in a Havertz or Ziyech or a Pulisic to play that number ten. I would actually play Callum as a as one of the two forwards or one of the three forwards, depending on how the formation shakes out. And and I would have Reese contributing more on the offensive side because like here's here's the problem with the with the system that we have right now. It it basically nullifies Werner, Pulisic anyone with real speed on the counterattack, right? Because we just have the ball all the time. So where it should be where Reese, you know, I think kind of got into a rhythm at the end of the United game today where he just started finding little pockets where he could drive balls to the back post. And there should be joy over there. Like that, that to me would make a lot of sense. So I think those are probably the three. I mean, it, it's really hard right now though. I, I think the, I, I've I've wavered on this even during this little diatribe that I'm on because it, it there is no clear cut answer. Yeah, there's no outstanding candidates. There's no there's no real spine if you really really think about it. And in terms of really building on not just now but in the future, you know, Silver's like 75. Kante is is probably <laughs> on the other side of his his career. You know, he's had the what 41 games missed since he's been here. And those are those are the two players. So it is, I think, as you're saying, it, it is Reese potentially, it is Mason, it is Callum. Um, but then that's not really down the middle of my team, <laughs> which is always, I think, where where Chelsea teams have been so strong has been that actual spine of the team has always been top tier. And then I think, you know, I described it previously where you have your your spine and then you hang your ornaments around the side of it. You know, your fancy players can can play when you've got a good spine, but we've we've kind of we don't have that that central spine. At least a spine that is durable that can play pretty much every single game in any system in any shape. You know, one of the things that maybe we haven't seen that you know we, we did see today, which was you know Pulisic getting to play centrally after Giroud came off, and one of the other players who's done that before, uh, you know, even as recently as last season for Leverkusen, is Kai Havertz. You know, he's played in that central forward position. Um, actually did quite well there. You know, Joe, is that something you would consider as well, trying to maybe throw him up there in terms of getting more attackers onto the pitch? I think it's it's an interesting one to look at because, again, I think we've we've all kind of maybe put the brakes a little bit on the Bundesliga to Premier League kind of translation of, of talents and things like that. But he was very good there. He was exceptionally good there, actually, in terms of how he played. I think a little bit in terms of him maybe dropping into some of those areas and receiving the ball in those pockets of spaces, I think he has the ability to still be very dangerous. The question will be, obviously, with him playing there. I think Mason, when he when he was there against Spurs and when we've seen him kind of drop in there, he can receive the ball back to goal. He can turn people. I mean, he turned McTominay inside out in the first half. I don't know how McTominay didn't get booked with that kind of foul that Mason kind of rolled him in midfield. Um, I'm not sure if Havertz is quite there in terms of his ability to hold the ball up. But at, at this point in time, I think we lack so many ideas in the final third that I would even I would just consider playing Havertz there and just seeing what happens, surrounding with with Callum, with with Mason, with with Werner, with Pusic, whoever it's going to be, and maybe try and have three to four kind of attack-minded players up there just to see if if it if it kind of increases the the attacking momentum that we have. I'm quite comfortable sacrificing one of the wing backs to, you know, if you take off a wing back and go back for and just stick one of them up front, even if we have to put Marcus Alonso up front just to get a body, just to get a body in and around the penalty area. But I think I think Havertz is an interesting pr- proposition there because he does have all of the traits and he did play it particularly well. But it's one of those things now where I'm looking at the Premier League translation sort of skill sets for Bundesliga players. And you wonder whether he's going to have the physicality to deal with like Harry Maguire and his very strangely shaped head, you know, marking him for, for, for 90 minutes. Um, but I would like to see Havertz there. I think he's he's got a good um, skill set to play there in terms of what, what I've seen. And I think, again, it's it's about getting more attacking talent in the final third. And he does have the ability to play, play that pass and he is a good finisher and he is good in the air. So he does have a lot of the traits. And you, you see games today from Giroud 
and you're kind of wondering like well you know I mean I'm sure Havertz could could sort of stroll around and, and not really do much either if we're, if we're being completely honest so it's probably it's probably worth a shot in terms of trying to put someone up there but I would like to see him there because and you know he, he he has the height he has the the heading ability he has the tools um, but it would be question me again if we have to surround him with with players and get players close to him because there's no point just leaving him isolated because he's not Diego Costa Didier Drogba Erling Haaland. He's not, he's not that kind of striker. Very few people are, uh, but you did mention one player uh, who, not a Chelsea player, who uh, never is uh, shies away from controversy, which is Harry Maguire. Uh, he did get a boo-boo <sighs> in the first couple minutes, which, uh, you know, we're all concerned. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts um, and prayers, both of them. But uh, there was, and Nick, I'll throw this right over to you. There was the post-match press conference <sighs> that Whoa. was being held in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer went at it he definitely had some things to say he was unhappy with articles from the chelseafc.com website and the fist stand app for calling out the wwe style tactics of one harry Maguire in penalty boxes and a good question here from rob was just do you think any other managers besides ole have installed the fist stand app very good question i don't <laughs> think tuchel has it probably <laughs> um Yeah, if you guys didn't watch this, I would highly encourage you to go find this post-game interview. It it was fucking crazy, Uh, like straight up. This was – Ole knows the title's gone, right? And it would have been gone even if they would have won today. City are just that much better than everybody else in the league. Um, But he was basically calling out Lampard for saying that – starting the the trend that United get more penalties than everyone. And that – might be true, but it's also like if you look at the numbers, <laughs> like I don't ball don't lie. I, I don't know what else to say there. Uh, and and then he started going on about how uh, this conspiracy that the referee had come over and said, "Up, oh, can't give that as a penalty to you because of like how would it look to the rest of the league or something like that." And they confirmed that Kavanaugh, who was running VAR had given it as a penalty, but the referee waved him off or whatever. And it, it, the whole thing was just ludicrous. It, it, it was all excuses. It was all, you know, just frustration or whatever. But it was completely uh, crazy, like utterly crazy, Joe. I, I, I really... I think he kind of lost it. I love I love if that, uh, if that referee explanation is true. That has actually... quite That, that probably has made the game possible now, in my eyes. But <laughs> yeah. The, the Harry the Harry Maguire stuff from from Man United fans is absolutely absolutely absurd. If we're just talking about like incidents against Chelsea, he has kicked Michi Batshuayi between the legs yeah. about as blatantly as blatant can be. Didn't even get booked. Carried on playing. He effectively put Cesar Azpilicueta in a Khabib Nurmagomedov <laughs> chokehold <laughs> in the middle of the penalty area. Like he's gone full like full Russian bear like chokehold on him nothing happened didn't he he got away with something else recently like not not, yeah. not, not against Chelsea like yeah, I think it was, there it comes was their a point last, where it was their last game the, the last game was, yeah there was a crash there, there was a crash on the back post he literally did not look at the ball elbowed whoever it was in the back of the head sent him flying into the net and there wasn't even a review of it not yeah. even a review and yet, as you say there, there is a uh, there's a conspiracy against Manchester United here to ensure that they they don't win the title. Um, you know, even even if we're, look, we're not looking at, you know, recent stuff, Ma- Manchester United historically have had the absolute run of referees for as long as I can remember watching football. From the 90s, in the noughties, you know, 2010s when Ferguson was there, they have always had the referees and had favourable decisions. And now because there's VAR and, and maybe they, they're not getting some of the decisions that they have, they're still getting loads of really soft penalties and loads of really dodgy decisions their way anyway. But it's it's fascinating how quickly that sort of thing can turn. But honestly, if the referee has actually <laughs> has actually turned down the penalty today and said, "Well, you know, it might look a bit dodgy if we give that to you," then I think we should have that referee every game. Well, I, yeah. I'm looking forward to Ole coming out and talking about uh, Dominion voting machines as well. Next, uh, you know, I'm sure no, there's a couple he, topics he can jump into. You know, you know, he's <laughs> listening to this show too. He's going to come out on the next one and say, "Those guys on the on the London is Blue podcast really." Help take us down after we lost one nil to Crystal Palace with one shot on goal. You know, it's really those guys' <laughs> fault. You know, and you're like, dude, why are you reading the press? Like, you have other stuff to worry about. What's going on? It's All crazy. right. Well, 
Well, that that is done. Uh, we we will close the book on this match uh, after God. I give each of you one last chance. Any other other thing you want to say about this ninety plus minutes of football? Football <laughs> in the air quotes. One very very small thing to end with, and it, it's more of a, a question to you guys really. But looking at how Hakim Ziyech has performed, probably for the last couple of months, do you? see him having a long-term future here at the club. And I'm talking about even if we change system to a system that, that sort of favours him because he, he's, you know, I'm being kinder. He's not been particularly impressive. That's me being kind in terms of his performances. But looking at him today, when he came off the pitch, his, his reaction, his face to being substituted, I'm a little bit concerned that there's a massive disconnect between his opinion of himself and his actual performances. So the question is to, to both of you, do you think that he has a long-term, a long-term future here? The juicy one. Dan? Oh, <laughs> uh, I will just say, Ajax, that be, might be something we need to investigate, is how did they complete the sale of so many players who have now, <laughs> post, <laughs> post-Champions post League run, actually have struggled in every team that they have gone into. It, it is just mind-blowing. The, uh, and, and, you know... I mean, look, you know, it, it, you know, there is a, a drop down in, in level kind of to the Eredivisie, to the Premier League or the Bundesliga or to, um, you know, uh, La Liga or, you know, and just in general, though, every player that has gone out from that team, uh, Delight, uh, you know, uh, and, and Ziyech as well, are just not playing at the level that you would expect them at. And, you know, I, I would be highly concerned. Uh, I, I think that he would be someone who maybe gets beginning of next season and would potentially be a try to find a loan that would suit him and maybe try to kind of get him, get him off. God, it's just, it's crazy to even think about this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he just, he just joined. He looked absolute sauce for like three months and then got hurt. And, you know, I look at him as a part of a larger question. Havertz, Pulisic, Ziyech. Werner-ish, but Werner's produced more than, than those three. They they look like they all need to be the guy to be their best self. Like, and, and what I mean by that is they all look like they need to be given the keys to the car. Mm. And I wonder... You know, I, I hope they all get their confidence back at the same time. We're all humming. That would be a really fun thing. We haven't seen it yet. Uh, I'm sure it would be fun to watch to have them all really rolling. But they they all look just completely shot of confidence. And I, I think Ziyech is probably, I don't know who has the least amount of confidence right now, to be completely honest. I mean, that's a, that's a good question. But yeah, Ziyech looks like a shell of himself. Yeah. He looks like the same. Havertz hasn't really played. You know, Werner, we, we have no idea what's going on with the finishing there, but at least he's contributing. Like, it's it's a weird one. All, all the while, you have Tammy and Mason and Callum looking like they're ready to go a lot of the time. Yeah, I don't know. that's it's the interesting strange. thing. Joe, do you have an answer? Do you have a perspective? Ooh, um... You got to be ready to answer your own question. Come on. No, the thing that I'm thinking about is your kind. It wasn't really a counter question. It was just a point that you were saying. Actually, there's a comparison to be made between Pulisic, Havertz, and, and Ziyech. I think if you if you look at it from that perspective, then he he's probably on the bubble in terms of potentially being here for next season. Um, but then it also, as you say, it factors in the fact of, of whether Christian is is not injury prone, whether he comes back from injuries, whether we see that sort of form again. You know, the, the one knock on, on Christian at the moment is that he's had this this wonderful patch at the end of last season and then he's just been sort of perpetually injured and sort of there's been four storms this season for him. So CH maybe is a little bit fitter, but if you're looking at maybe what they've done in the Chelsea shot at their best, Pulisic has that at least, you know, something on his on his CV in terms of that sort of stuff as well. And Havertz is the most expensive or one or the second most expensive player that we've signed. So I think he's kind of he's going to get another season regardless. Um, so I think it probably does come down to potentially Ziyech versus as Pulisic. And it's it's going to be a question for me of, of whether Christian can can get fit or not. Um, you know, as much as I think he's a great player and that he, I've really felt that he was becoming a talisman for the club back in the last season, this this season has been the complete polar opposite of that. 
and I know we, we were looking at him today. I think that he's he's trying too hard to impress. He's he's you know he's just not doesn't look right, and I don't really know how yeah. to to set apart from that. So it, it's probably a toss up between them. I would probably maybe lean to Ziyech because he is older and potentially you know there are teams that might be interested back in Eredivisie or another league that that might want to might want to take a look at him. But it's a it's a difficult question to ask, and as you say considering that we've re- really kind of just added these players to the team, certainly this year and over the past couple of seasons, the fact that they're the guys that are under the microscope and not the the, the kids who have graduated and cost Chelsea, you know, nothing is is going to be interesting, certainly in the, in the future of the development of the club. Well, I, I guess that to the, the point, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Matt Law last week when we were talking about the idea of bringing Holland into the, the side is it's going to cost a fair amount of money. And, you know, with, Ziyech being one of the players who came in, so he'll have a amortized transfer fee cost plus his wages. You know, is it better to potentially promote someone into the side who may be that fourth, fifth option, um, who then allows you to go big for the the target you're looking for? I mean, is that is that the way that you're thinking about it, Joe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, you know, I, being the sort of the nerd that I am with with the sort of financial stuff, I did actually put a little spreadsheet together as you do, you know, casually on the on lockdown evenings. Um, just looking at sort of the wages and some of the costs left to some of these players. And, you know, if we were to be aggressive and to take a little bit less than market value and be a little bit more open in terms of the fees that we, that we might receive, that there's there's tons of space to fit Haaland into the current economic climate of the club. The question is with Haaland is that, you know, if you put him in this team, are we going to get him the ball? <laughs> at the moment, you know, it doesn't matter if you have this absolute you know, potential phenomenon up front. You know, if we can't get him the ball, um, you know, I mean, we, again, we, you know, we've, we've seen games where our centre forward barely touches the ball in the first half. We've seen Tammy barely touch it, Cherie barely touch it today. And there's no point having a 200 million pound centre forward if, if literally we're, all we're going to be able to do is throw two crosses into him in 90 minutes. Well, um, I, I, that's I think a though it, it may change the dynamic of who's the guy. Yeah, uh, which is oh say, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. You know, if you're spending I, that kind of money on 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 somebody and. You know the the premise is that they're coming and guaranteeing 20, 30 goals a season. Um, yeah, that that does change the focus of the team enormously, and then you are building two their strengths rather than maybe elsewhere in the team. Obviously, it might, dip- it might actually force the hand a bit, Nick, which would be interesting. It might force us to be more yeah. aggressive because now we have to play towards the big shiny toy up front rather than protect the seven people at the back who maybe can't run. Well, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this too. It's like if if he comes in. It kind of reminds me a little bit of it, not the exact same situation, but it reminds me of when Diego Costa came into the 100%. team, right? You now have a guy, a bona fide fighter up top who, you know, everyone else can feed off their energy and, and all that kind of stuff. And there's not maybe the I'm not saying there's bickering amongst these people, but there's no there's no real discussion to be had. Yeah, you know, that's no, true. I think you're right. I think it, it that's probably one of the biggest takeaways. It, it does clear a lot of the. Who's playing left? Who's playing right? Are we playing a, a number 10? Are we playing this, that, the other? The discussion is we have Erling Haaland up top, potentially. I'll put potentially in there just in case it doesn't happen. But we have Erling Haaland up top. How do we get him the ball? What What is the best system to get the sky in position to score goals? And then, you know, you, you work back from there. I think, as you say, at the moment, it's, it's working so far from the defensive side of things that we're not really taking into account who's playing up front, what their strengths are, how to get the best out of them. We're just sort of hoping for hoping for the best of it. So yeah, hopefully that does, as you say, potentially shift the focus on who is the guy and then who is who is this team going to be built around for the next five, six seasons or whatever it's you know, whatever it may be if he comes. That is the sneaky preview for the Keep Sell Loan series that we'll be doing <laughs> right on the tail end of this season. So you got a little taste of it. If you haven't heard one of those before, one of our favorite episode yeah, uh, episodic kind of series to do where we go through the entire team and even go into the, the lone army. So, uh, yeah, that will be uh, quite the pleasure to do. But we're going to wrap this one up. Dan, the match, uh, you know, not not fully complete, but at least the trend line is looking like N'Golo Conte is going to just shade out Andreas Christensen as the Dan in the match. Uh, Rudiger and Mount also selected. Funny enough, a few minutes later, Chelsea FC, same options. So, you know what? Uh, definitely aligned there in terms of our uh, our efforts. Results as they stand uh, from this past weekend, Nick. I know you watched about uh, five thousand minutes of Premier League football this weekend. I cut uh, it down. The- I didn't watch any yesterday. It was great. I didn't watch oh anything. Gosh. I played. I played soccer, tennis outside, and drank beer. I, that was my day yesterday. So uh, oh no, gosh. I did not get up early to watch Man City uh, West Ham. 
Uh, although that was a good result for us until we did not capitalize on it. Uh, we're still one point behind West Ham. Uh, West Brom getting the most fortunate win uh, of the season so far uh, with that refereeing controversy. Uh, Leeds United uh, probably should have beat Villa and somehow did not score a goal. Uh, typical them. Newcastle and Wolves played to a thrilling 1-1 draw. Uh, Palace and Fulham, nil-nil uh, draw. Terrible, terrible game. Almost as bad as ours. Ruben uh, did have a, a nice shot uh, near the later half of that game. That just it rose it, it rose just, too high. I love how we're counting like, hey, there was a shot in this game, okay? <laughs> just compared to our game, there was at least one positive shot. <laughs> uh, shots are so, exciting, Nick. Do you, do you not know this is twenty twenty one? We get excited about shots on target. <laughs> um, the the surprise of the whole weekend: Arsenal beating Leicester City at their own place three one. I never would have saw that coming at all. Uh, so they could be picking up a little form. Spurs thrashing Burnley 4-0. Who knows what to think about Spurs. And then as it stands now, are, are Sheffield still in this game against Liverpool or have they lost it completely? 2-0 uh, to Liverpool as we record live. So the, Liverpool is likely going to pick up points and get closer to us in the table. Which is not good. Thank you for that depressing news live. Uh, really appreciate you always picking up the mood on this podcast. That's uh, what I'm here for. Anyway, so that will uh, affect the table. Uh, but as it stands, Man City are the de facto champions at this point. I, I don't think after today's draw, Manchester United is going to close the gap. Uh, I believe that their title victory claim or closing the gap claim from early in December and January uh, is now over. Uh, Leicester City not making up much distance either uh, with their loss. And then West Ham, we are just a single point behind them, uh, plus 16 on our goal difference as well. And again, Liverpool getting closer to us, uh, making us just feel a little tight around the collar. But that's it. That is an episode that is us trying to be uh, as positive as we can be, but also trying to figure out what Tuchel can do to try to manufacture some goals from this side and some points. But uh, gentlemen, it was another wonderful time chatting with both of you. Joe, thank you for filling in with Brandon Busby again, smartly taking the weekend off and not having to go through this match and this match review. Yeah, no problem at all. And uh, yeah random sense of timing. We, we need to tap into that. There's, there's definitely some sort of uh, mythical power that he's holding on to there. But no, it's, uh, it's, it's been as, let's say it's been as fun as it could be given the circumstances. I'd rather talk about a 7-0 win, but uh, yeah, you know, hopefully we'll start improving a little bit towards the end of the season. Well, that would be wonderful. And uh, Nick, uh, any last thoughts? Just, I'm so proud of that meme. That's really all I care about from Gosh. this episode. So um, to help, Help spread the word on that bad boy if you can. Okay, so we're, we're done with Joe's soliloquies. We are uh, done with Nick <laughs> giving him an opportunity to pat himself on the back for his meme skills. And uh, I'm going to call this one. We are done. We want to thank done. you, Chelsea fans, for listening to this episode. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. 